want to ask a question which I think, if I meant it seriously, you might empty this uh, room. But the question is, uh, in a way, based on something the Apostle Paul penned to the church at Corinth. And uh, it's not in the text, but it is implied. And it is, who in the world do you think you are? That's implied, I think, in the uh, uh, text that runs from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 16 through to the 21st verse. Now, if I asked the question myself and said, who in the world do I think I am? You might say, yes, time you ask that question. <laughs> but it's, a, it's an important question. It's an important question for a host of reasons, probably more than we could ever uh, talk about in a week's worth of sermons. But the question is, what do I think? That's the real question. Well, who do I think? You are, who do I think I am? The Bible makes it very clear. It's in the Proverbs. It's Proverbs 23 and it's verse 7. And that proverb in one translation reads, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I know we're taking that out of an ancient document and a long time ago and, and when the issues of sexuality weren't on the first uh, stage or at least weren't the key questions. But just to be clear, and I like to do this every time I come across a text which seems to be separating men in Christ from women in Christ, I want to be careful to say that uh, especially the word son, when the word son appears in the scriptures, it includes women because it's not talking about sexuality or, uh, or, or anything like that. It's talking about inheritance. It's talking about who are God's heirs? Who is going to receive his kingdom? Who is he going to give his kingdom over to? Well, fathers give their substance, let's not call it a kingdom, but a substance over to the children. And in the ancient world, only sons could inherit. And so that's the primary reason that the Bible keeps speaking about the son of David or the son of this. It's talking about heirs of God. Uh, but uh, in that culture, that's the way the text uh, comes to us. And I'd like to be clear cause, because actually uh, you're, you're in a very special church in my mind because the first tract written in America about the elevation of women in the life of the Puritan churches, and the Puritans often get a black eye for some of the things they've done, but nevertheless, uh, they were really a godly group because they just made it uh, their task to live the Bible out in life. And so it was that they said and did many things in their day that we might be surprised. And one of them was in 1704, it's a long time ago, I mean, after all, that's 72 years, uh, ahead of our Declaration of Independence, and it's a long time back. Yet the first tract arguing for the elevation of women in the life of the church was written here in Byfield. It was titled Teliathakumi. It was written by Samuel Sewell. And what he was doing was lifting a place of women in the role they played within the life of the Christian church. And I think that's very 
encouraging to know that we have that legacy. So, Talila Hakumi, by the way, was what Jesus said in Hebrew to the little girl who had died, and he comes because he was called, and he says to those who are mourning, she isn't dead, she's sleeping, and they laughed him to scorn. They knew the difference between someone who was sleeping and someone who was dead, and the little girl had died, but Jesus is God in the flesh, and God created everything heaven and earth, and everything within it. And he can certainly give life back to this little girl. And he said to her, Talayathakumi, little damsel, arise. She opened her eyes and went back to her family. And so it was that uh, when Samuel Sewell wrote that tract, let's call it, Talayathakumi was the title because he was saying, women, arise in the life of the church. And I just think that's an encouraging thing to know that uh, this goes back not to a cultural thing, it goes back to his understanding of the Bible. And one more little tidbit you might like to know is that if you walk down to that cemetery, not today with all the snow, but someday, and you go back to the old church, you'll find the gravestone of Samuel Sewell's sister. And you know what it says on that, sam that tombstone? Mahedabel, Moody, she married Moody, Settled to the worship of God in this place. This church stems from the work of a woman. Uh, and it's just encouraging just to know that that's how God's been working for a long time in our life as a congregation. Now, since I didn't really mean to say any of that, <laughs> uh, but, it is, but, it, but it is in a way tendential to the text. And let me read the text. It's in it's in 2 Corinthians, it's found in chapter 5, and I'm reading the 16th through the 25th verse, the 21st verse. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one from the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him not that way any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, uh, all these things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, uh, and he has committed to us this word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, this is what we'd be uh, uh, appealing or appealing for. He says, uh, uh, be reconciled to God. That's the fundamental call of the Christian church to the world. Be reconciled to God. We're born separated from him. We're born with a human nature and it's a fallen nature. And as we got old enough, we began to live that out. And we were, we were trained by our parents and we were corrected by them. And, and it went on in life and we, we learned what the laws of the land were and on it went. But all of that was necessary because of the nature we brought into the world. Our nature was to do what pleases us, what promotes us what praises us. In other words, uh, we came into the world with a life centered on ourselves. It's human nature. 
And so it is that when the gospel goes forth, it's a call to the world to, to take someone else at the center of your life. Take yourself away from yourself in a sense. Uh, not that you're going to destroy yourself, not that you don't count, no, it's not that. It's just that there's, a, there's something that you need to bring into your life that will drive away the darkness and produce the light. You know, uh, if you, if you uh, took an empty cup uh, and, and you, uh, w or you wanted to fill it, uh, you'd have to put water into it. And if you're in the world of darkness and you want to have light, it's got to come from the outside. It's got to fill that darkness. Uh, and uh, God did that, didn't he, on the very first day. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was on the face of the deep. And God said, what? Let there be light. And I suggested uh, Christmas Eve, uh, that uh, God keeps repeating that every morning. Uh, God, this, this world exists because God keeps speaking into it. It's the word of God that sustains the world. The book of Hebrews, if you want to read it, goes into that quite thoroughly. The word of God goes forth and what he says he does. And he said at the beginning, let there be light. And I'm assuming, I think if I'm reading my Bible right, that he says it every morning. Oh, I know how it works. I know we're rotating as a planet, and I know the sun's out. I know all of that. But there's something deeper than that. There's a, there's a creator who is saying, let there be. And when he says, let there be, it happens. And so he fills the darkness with light. Well, it never got so bright as the day that he himself came into the world. He came into the world in the person of his son. And Jesus, when he was a teacher when he was traveling through the land of Palestine teaching about his father he said at one point he said I am the light of the world he said and then he said something even more if you think about it, believe it more staggering he says to his disciples those that follow him those who have heard his word and follow he says you are the light of the world so if we are the light of the world what do we do to make that light shine how does that light get into the world if, in fact, Christ, by filling the life of a believer, our lives, how does that get out? And the key way in which it gets out is this ministry of the word, which is the ministry of reconciliation. Be reconciled to God. Let me again read these, these words in the light of what I've just said. Therefore, from now on we regard... Uh, no man according to the flesh. Flesh is what I've just described. It's our human nature. Flesh is uh, the desires. It's the, it's, the, it's the movements of the human heart. It's the, it's the way we feel about ourselves. It's the uh, tendency to, you know, more than a tendency, it's really the, the, the pressure we feel to make the world fit the way we want it to go, to be what we want it to be in the way we live our lives. And uh, that Paul calls flesh. And he says, we once knew, he says that in that first sentence, uh, even though we once knew Jesus according to the flesh, we saw him like one of us. He was a great man, a great teacher, great, 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 taxed everything, but only a man. Only the best of men, only the greatest of men, but a man. And so he says in that verse, verse, therefore, 
From now on, we regard no one from the flesh, even though we once regarded Jesus from the flesh, just as another one of us fleshly men. But we, Paul speaking now and writing to the Corinthians, but no longer. We've learned something. Something's happened to us. Something's occurred in our life. Something has transformed us. And now we don't see him that way any longer at all. We now see him, he says, that he is, he is the very creator of all things. In other words, in that second verse, if, if you have your Bible open, it says in one way or another, of course there's so many translations, but the one I'm using here says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Let's stop for a second on that one verse, just for a second. But he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. Now, now it's one thing to get a new wardrobe and feel good about it. It's a great thing to get a new uh, uh, job, especially if it's a career change and it really is an advancement. And newness is something we enjoy. Uh, when the new millennium came in in 2000, many of us remember that uh, that night they traced the coming of the new year all around the world every time it hit a time zone. And we watched it on our television. So newness is an important thing. But here, we're going way beyond new wardrobes or new careers or new millennia. New creation. Now think about that. Did Paul really mean that? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he, remember, that he is from biblical times, we are new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And he's talking about, he's talking about the world out there that we partly can see at night because it shines lights at us from the stars, but we're just, I guess we're still in the process of learning just exactly what this universal order of things are or is. And Jesus Christ is called the new creation, not the new creature. And he's saying to us, if you're in Christ, you are a new creation. Well, think about that. A new creation. A new created order. That's what redemption is. Creating a new kind of human being. God made man innocent in the beginning, but he fell into sin. But we're not going to be restored in Christ. We haven't been restored. I shouldn't say we will be. We are. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Not a new creature. A new creation new creation. That means something profound has happened. We may not be fully, touch, fully in touch with it yet, but that's what the Bible, and that's Paul, and that's what he says, and that's what he understands. A new creation. Here's how I think it works. Don't take it to the bank, because this is what I think. But it's so much about newness and new creation in the New Testament. And here's what I think it's saying. There is coming, you can read this in the book of Revelation, a new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven. Now, some think that the book of Revelation is historical. In other words, it's giving you events. I'm not so persuaded. I mean, it deals with history. It deals with the world. It deals with you and me. But I don't think it's about the sequence of events. I think it's 
giving us insights into the world we're living in and what God has done in the world we're living in. You can't see with your eyes and you can't hear with your ears. You must accept it by faith. It must be visible to you through your mind's eye, through faith. And I say that because the book of Revelation, to me, is addressed to the mind's eye. It's addressed to us to see into and what is really happening in the world that we can't see with our eyes, but it's real and it affects us. And so we see the Savior of the world mostly symbolically. So what is this new Jerusalem? Now, I haven't lost my track of train of thought, if you think I have. Uh, what is this new Jerusalem, new Jerusalem? Well, I think it's the temp new Temple Mount. Well, what's the Temple Mount? Temple Mount's where God lives in his temple. Okay, I get that. So, so if there's a new Jerusalem coming, is there going to be another city up there that's going to come down and crush New York? Or has it been coming down ever since the day Christ breathed his last on the cross? Jesus said on the cross after he went with our sins and he paid for them and when it was all acceptable to God, he said, it's finished. And he breathed his last. And I would recommend to you that at that point, Jerusalem, symbolically, the people of God, the temple of God, the temple mount of God, the new Jerusalem began coming down out of heaven and land on the earth. In the form of what? Us who believe. We were born from above. We were born of God. We were born as a brother or sister to Jesus Christ. And where does God live? Paul says in another letter, he says, he says do you not know you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? If God resides in you? Now, is that true? I think it's true. Did you feel when you were drawn to put your faith in, did you feel a new kind of joy or liberty or freedom or something happened? It wasn't just talk. It was real. Something happened. What happened was... You were born from above. You were born into a wholly different category. I don't think that's a good word. It makes it sound too much like it should be in a, I don't know, an office somewhere. No. You were born of God. And the new Jerusalem has been coming down on earth ever since. And it's been filling the earth. Filling the earth. And it's now the, one of the places on earth most filled with God's presence, if we talk about revivals, is Korea. Korea has more Christians per capita than any other country on earth today, as I understand it. And Paul started this message going, and it's been going all around the world. And wherever it has gone, the people who have taken it in, who've received it, who've believed it, who have, have been affected by it, they have been reconciled to God. No more barriers, no more distance. We belong in the family of God, which is the new Jerusalem, which is the future. And so 
we only have so much time. <laughs> this opens up the sermon now. No. <laughs> no, but it does, it does paint a way to say something simple, really. And I really asked the question for a reason. Who, who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? Think about it. Because God wants us to think. Because as a man or woman thinks in his or her heart, so is he or she. Thinking about these things counts for something. Think about it. And I submit to you that what we are in the midst of and why we should really be going forth like Paul and call to the Lord and say, be reconciled to God. That's our message to the world. Be, you can be. You can be made right with God. You can be forgiven. You can be received. You can belong to him. You can have life with him, not just for now, not just for the next 10 years, forever. That's our message. Come to him. Oh, you who labor heavy laden, he'll give you rest. He'll, he'll put his yoke on you, and he's yoked with you in his yoke. All that. So again, coming back to this matter of you, we are, and you are, he's writing to the Corinthians, you are new creations. Not new creatures only, new creations. And let me recommend to you that what's really happened uh, in, in this time before he comes back is that what he did, God did when he said let there be light and let there be dry land and let there be, let there be, let there be when he did that, it was all finished and then he took and he put an image bearer of himself within it to rule it Adam, he put Adam in Eden to rule it for him in his strength and to his glory and of course we know Adam turned against him and went his own way. But now, there is, and when he did, the, something happened in the created order of things that was not good. If you read, and you want to read, go back to Romans chapter 8, look at verse 18 and keep reading. It says, the created order was subjected to futility. And it's presently waiting for its redemption. The creation is waiting for the redeeming, for the day will be put right again. It's, it's in decay right now. It's, it's, the second law of thermodynamics is well at work, decaying everything. But the day has come when it's starting to reverse because the, the, the new creation begins not with the created order into which man is put, it begins with the man who now enters the created order and makes it right. The created order will come back because the sons of God are being revealed. That's what the text says. That's what the text says. And this particular, and I've only looked at three verses and I'm going to leave it there, but that's what Paul is getting at here. Paul is saying, therefore, to a very disruptive church. One of Paul's hardest churches was at Corinth. He says, therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. There's been a change in my life, Paul is saying. He said, I even knew Christ according to the flesh. It didn't mean he walked with him or I don't think he ever met him. What he meant was he considered Jesus to be only a man. So I, in effect, knew him only after the flesh. But not so now. 
Now my eyes have been opened, Paul says. Now I see who he is. Now I have been made, made one with him. He's in me and I'm in him. That's what he's saying in a compressed way in that 16th verse. And he says, therefore, uh, anyone, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. So he has done something for his world through you and me who believe. He has begun to make it all right, all right, everything. But he begins not like Eden. He begins in a world gone wrong, and he brings himself into it through those who put their faith in his name. And that's why Paul can say of the Corinthians, but if he were here, he'd be saying it of us who believe. Do you not know your new creation in Christ Jesus? That the old has passed away, and in you, the new has come. Go out, therefore, and cry out to the world. Be reconciled to God. Because that's God's plan, and that's his power, and it's to his glory. Let's pray. Father, we get thought about a lot of things, uh, but really the one thing is that uh, when, if you were to ask the question, who do you think you are, we should get our thoughts around what it is you've done in our lives, uh, what you've done in and through the life of your people in the church uh, in, uh, in the world. Uh, and we pray that uh, as we wait still for Jesus himself to be back among us, we pray that we will be enabled to take this word and make it clear, make it persuasive, make it uh, desirable uh, to those who yet do not know who you are and what you really did. And so we pray that uh, the uh, power of the Spirit will continue to enliven us as your people here at Byfield and that we might continue to be a light to the world. Uh, and a city on a hill, even as you have designed the Church of Jesus Christ to be. Uh, I give you thanks for this and praise you in Christ's name.